the second viewing. New look, same great taste. I'm Kyle. I'm Dan. Shakabra. Today in the podcast, we have the 2001 romantic comedy, Amelie. Now, this is a pretty cool French film directed by our boy, uh, Jean-Pierre Junet. Am I saying that right? Is that, is uh, that accurate? My best guess is, yeah. Sure. Junet. Um, yeah, sorry, dude. But um, anyways, this is a pretty fun, kind of uh, offbeat romantic comedy that I feel is a... Uh, Maybe a little bit change of pace for us on the podcast here, but it was definitely a movie we wanted to talk about and kind of, you know, have some fun with and get into a foreign film and kind of get into, you know, a film that maybe people are familiar with in terms of visuals or even just hearing the name, right. but haven't actually seen or sat down and watched. And like you said before, it's definitely a more accessible foreign film or French film uh, or uh, like a movie with subtitles. I don't think a lot of uh, average movie moviegoers yeah. really delve into content like this. Um, yeah, but I think yeah, it's a I nice gateway um, into it. And I mean, it's on Netflix. It's been around for a while. Uh, it's fairly popular. You probably recognize the DVD cover. Matter of fact, I'm sure I had heard of it and definitely seen the cover of it. But you're the one who turned me on to it recently and said, you got to check it out because I hadn't seen it yet. And once I watched it, we decided, yeah, this is definitely a movie we've got to bring to the cast. Totally. Exactly that. And um, I think just the reason we want to talk about it is because we think it is it's one of those movies that's just been in that con- that kind of like maybe pop culture consciousness, but maybe doesn't get enough attention these days. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the movie came out in 2001. It actually was pretty popular back then. It had a really good, um, you know, showing at Cannes, and it was had a lot of uh, Academy Award attention and things think, like that. I think it really breaks the stigmas of uh, romantic comedies this right. day and age. Yeah, I think you're right. There's not a... I mean, there's not a, like a lot of well-crafted <laughs> romantic comedies. Sure, there's romantic comedies that people enjoy. Obviously, they're popular. Yeah. But the genre seems yeah. to have be it's 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 been beaten with a stick in North America. It seems like definitely it's very formulaic. You know, you don't really get a lot of um, actually engaging, smart, funny romantic comedies. Um, but I would say Emily is one of those. It it definitely uh, it definitely you know. And I, I had a lot of fun with this movie, and it, it was it was just one of those movies that kind of had such a strong sense of setting and a strong sense of environment and creating this world of these characters. It felt very real. It felt like I was kind of in this, you know, this place in France. Like I was visiting these people, like as if they were, or as if Emily was my friend or something. Or like I was just kind of observing how she was interacting yeah, from I mean, an outsider's perspective. It, it sort of... Yeah, it encapsulated a lot of the culture in, you know, a small um, sort of setting. Like, you didn't... Yeah, it's like a time capsule, sort of. Yeah. From, like, even looking at this film, it's already, like, 15 years old. It Doesn't made it really feel, feel like a portion of the big city was a small town. Yeah. Like, everyone yeah. was, you know, you got used to seeing the same few people every day and interacting with them almost every day. And that's something we'll cool. get into here pretty quick. Yeah. But Anyways, um, let's proceed with the with the synopsis. And all right, we'll kick cool. It off. Well, uh, let's get things going here. So, Emily is a 2001 romantic comedy, like we were just saying, directed by Jean-Pierre Genet, that centers around the charming yet quirky Emily Poulin. Emily is a person who appreciates the small things in life and looks to find the best in others around her. She comes across a box of her garden treasures and embarks on a journey to find who it belongs to, along the way finding herself and, of course, stumbling upon love. And um, that is kind of the gist of this film. But, of course, there's a lot more to delve into. And mm-hmm. um, the thing is, is this movie is really, really good at um, focusing on the character of Emily and creating kind of this interworking web around that. Mm-hmm. And kind of connecting, you know, the city and the world, her family, her friends, 
uh, coworkers, just all these um, things around her into like this this little bundle of you know creativity and imagination. And there is a bit of a surreal element to a very small degree that maybe we'll talk about later. But nonetheless, um, yeah. let's get into kind of our first thing we wanna we wanna touch upon. Well, I uh, I also think it's worth saying even just before we talk okay. to jump into the first. My bad. Point am I, am I jumping the gun a bit? Am I gunning the jump? No, I just I got one quick thing to say. Well, I think it's uh, you know, Emily is definitely one of those movies that. On the second viewing, there's not a ton extra to be noticed. It's one of those movies that really showcases everything it is within the first view. Like, it it, it doesn't pack too much information into a visual. Um, it doesn't overwhelm your viewing. It doesn't confuse you. As long as you're, you're following along with essentially the subtitles and the visuals on the screen, you're fine. Like, as long as you're in tune with the movie which, and engaged, which I'm sure you will be because this movie does a great job of it. Um, you won't miss much. Uh, you won't pick up on a whole lot of extra content on the second viewing. And as far as I'm concerned, like, I don't know. I would you agree know with this? you all but one thing. And we will actually get to that oh, a little bit later. One of our closing We'll points. get to that later. I but I, I, I agree. In terms of, you know, like small little Easter eggs or um, maybe uh, things you can have a, a much, much greater appreciation for, not so much on the second viewing. I think mm-hmm. this movie is kind of a nice... You know, a little package you can enjoy. Yeah. I completely agree, but there is one thing we will talk about later that I think we kind of um, came across. Maybe just yeah. not considering that as a second viewing and, thing. And though this show is based on uh, the, the second viewing, we also talk a lot about the film as a whole. Yes, so, yes. So, you know, just to get that out of the way right off the bat is watching it for the second time, you'll enjoy it just as much, I'm sure. But there, you really will gain most of uh, the information you need off the first viewing, which is good to see that there's this really nice balance of visual information uh, uh, all together. Well, visual information is, is definitely a, a key um, component of these characters that the Emily and this film like to focus upon. And um, that's what we're going to start with. So uh, the first uh, main topic is the progression of characters and those characters' development throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so one we, one we, thing I just want to touch upon is um, I don't necessarily think that these characters... I think there's strong character development, but I think that's it. kind of what the film is about in a way. I think the film is kind of choosing these characters as almost like set pieces or almost as uh, archetypes for the film and watching them grow purposefully for the sake of the plot. Right. The plot are these characters. It's Which not necessarily the very plot. unique way to go about a film. Yeah, it, there's not like this like plot in the center of there. the film that well, I mean there is a plot. There is kind of like a there is a, a goal in place. There is a an action that's kind yeah, of um, it's not in like, mind. Like I picture like a circular staircase where where the the pole in the center is the plot and the exactly. characters walk around it. For most movies, but in this case, the pole in the center holding the circular staircase up is the characters, not the plot. So I the characters totally agree. create the plot. You're and right. the characters in this film are wonderfully um, developed and wonderfully explained. And um, that's kind of something I want to touch upon is actually just every character, every each of the main characters uh, is described with their likes and their dislikes. It's they they that's how they're yeah. introduced. So and so likes this. And but they hate this and they hate this and that's kind of how they introduce, um, you know, Emily's how parents. They feel. Yeah. Um, well, they do Emily's parents, Emily, 
herself. Yeah. Um, and who else was there? Was there was there more? Oh yeah. Well, um, all of her coworkers in the diner. Oh yeah, the that's right. The men who yeah. uh, frequent the diner, and later on, her love interest Nino. Right. Um. So again, like the main characters for the most part. But do they do that for the glass man? They don't. They don't do that for the glass man, and as well as Lucian. Is that his name? Yeah, Lucian. Um. Yeah. But they're kind of explained um, differently. They're explained kind of more, um, I would say, traditionally, based off yeah. other characters and dialogue. We'll have to delve into that But we'll later, get into that just a little bit more later. But um, I wanted to bring up the likes and dislikes thing because it's they're, they're these really interesting, like, 10, like, 15-second, like, um, introductions to each character really quick that really do set the stage for what they're about and how, as the viewer, you're supposed to expect and kind of... Um, learn from them as they keep uh, progressing. Uh, one of my favorite things is just actually how they describe Emily. You know, she uh, likes to put her hand in, in grains, and she likes yeah. the feeling of that. She Sticking likes, her hand deep into a yeah. bag of grains. I can relate. Simple, That's a great feeling, dude. One, one of the, yeah, she, well, they really paint this picture of her just enjoying the simple pleasures, like skipping rocks on, an, on, a, on a dam. Or, yeah. Oh. Um, what else is there? She, um... She she just is exactly that. She loves the little things in life. She had lots of imaginary friends growing up. Um, so well, let's start let's start right there. So we're introduced to Emily first um, after her parents, but her age she's very young when we first meet her. We meet her from birth. We see the X and Y chromosome meet right. Like yeah, that's we kind of right. we kind of get her entire story from birth and uh, growing up. And yeah. one of the darkest things that comes up, which, I mean, we'll talk about the little bit dark tone in this movie later, but uh, the whole underlying theme of why her parents kind of treat her as an outlier or an outcast is because every time her father checks her up because he's a doctor, her heart starts palpitating because mm-hmm. she's so excited to have her father close to her because she's not used to having an affection or physical contact with right. her father. But they, they introduce <laughs> it in a way that is, you know... Um, Emily's heart is beating fast. Like any little girl, she loves the embrace of her father, but... um, He considers it a heart defect. But uh, the only time she receives uh, anything close to an embrace from her father is on her monthly checkup. Yes. uh, To which he begins to think she has a heart condition because her heart's always beating so fast. (laughs) Which is both funny and also deeply depressing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it comes up a little bit later in the film, too. It's... uh, and and it reinforces some of the the, the dark tones in this movie. But uh, that being said, um, we're talking about her childhood right now. So um, she's diagnosed with a heart condition. Uh, she's now homeschooled by her mother primarily, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, she's got a bunch of imaginary friends. She tends to. She's got a goldfish who has become suicidal. Um, Flubber, is that his name? Chubby? I forget the name. Yeah, something along those lines. I love that guy. Great great fish. Honestly, great fish. (laughs) So, yeah, he becomes suicidal, which stresses Emily's mom's out. uh, Emily's mom out. Um, Emily begins crying and screaming. Um, Basically what the goldfish or the fish does is jumps out of its bowl and tries to suffocate itself. So Um, eventually Emily's mom just... You know, releases the fish into an, into a river or pond, mm-hmm. which actually brings us to uh, kind of an important part of the movie, in our opinion, which is um, in order to sort of um, offset uh, Emily losing a friend that was her goldfish. Her mom picks her up a camera. Right, right. She does pick up a camera, 
and she starts taking photographs just for fun. And uh, she takes a photo of uh, intersection. And as she takes this photo, uh, a car crash happens. And uh, there's a man who comes out of the car and he says, you know, you took that camera. So you had that camera in your hand and you took that photo and it's because of you. You, you started that car crash. You started that accident. That disaster is because of you. So Emily develops this idea that uh, everything on the news or all, every disaster around yeah. the world is like is a chain reaction of... Her. Photos she took during that yes, day. Yes, yeah. Photos she she what, has had the, She has had the camera for what a day. She's taken a bunch of photos <laughs> yeah. all day, mostly of clouds. She goes home, turns on the news, and looks at plane crash after you know car crash after you know a forest fire and all that kind of stuff. And somehow her imagination runs off, and she believes it's all because of her, mainly because of the words. The seed planted by the guy, and that right, was in the car right. crash. Um, however, a few days later, Emily discovers that uh, she she has been sort of she's been uh, hoaxed, duped, yeah, yeah, by uh, by just that same old man who told her she had caused the accident, and turns out he mm-hmm. was just joshing. And so we he was causing a ruckus, and we begin to see a pattern in Emily's behavior. Now yeah. that she's found out that this guy sort of duped her. She crawls up to the top of his house knowing that he loves uh, football, uh, European football, so soccer. Um, and every, and she turns on a radio, and every time it sounds like a goal is about to happen, she unplugs the cable <laughs> so that he can't see the goal. And so he's you flipping get, out. He's, yeah, so yeah. he's losing his mind downstairs, can't figure out why the cable's going in and out, can't watch the game. And Emily ha- had her sort of revenge or but like playful revenge almost like a right doing or a justification yeah, or a, it is a little bit of a character attribute that she starts to develop for sure she starts right, to so kind you of see this pattern in her and there is some imagery in that um later in the film that is is really fun um when we start to get a little more into the plot we'll bring it up but i think this is a good point you bring up that this is where we start to kind of see you know her the chain of events that have led her there. Yes, basically. yes. And also, you kind of see, although she might be more of a, to a degree, an introverted type or a, a quieter type, she definitely has these grand thoughts and she definitely has these plans that she likes to see out yeah. these goals she likes to uh, She's accomplish. very creative and, uh, and, and extremely smart. And goal-oriented, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's delve into a few more of the characters in this film. So she... Um, she has uh, these co-workers that she works with in a, in a diner or a bar. That's right. Kind so of she, a diner bar. She eagerly moves out at what was at the age of 18. Yeah, um, she's kind of mourning the death of her mother and, you know, her father's kind of uh, very much focused on his own, his own well-being and his work. And she's kind of left to maybe find herself or kind of do things her own way. And the way she does things might be unconventional. So she mm-hmm. decides she needs to live her own life. Go do things on her own, right? And that's where we kind of pick up from. And you know, the more we're point. talking about this, I realize how much information is is <laughs> is packed into that first almost like twenty minutes of the movie oh, or dude, less. So much, so there's much. so much stuff that uh, that is uh, jam packed, but uh, the last it's time we not wa- overwhelming. The last time we watched this, actually. Um, like yesterday night when we watched this, after like that scene, I was like, "Oh, this movie's only this movie's over in like twenty minutes." I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I was like, "Wait a minute, no, there's like an hour and a half left." Like, yeah. that is not even like 
And it flies like, by. It, it totally really does, flies but it just by. it just feels like so much of the film because a yeah. lot of it is related to almost every other scene. Exactly. So that that first twenty minutes totally comes into play throughout the course of the movie, hundred percent. And I, I mean, mean pro- props to the director and the the writing of this film, and that's, because yeah. it does set the scene for the movie very well. And that's why that's why our first point of discussion really is the character progression because you learn so much about all the characters right off the bat, and like we said before, you know. Know, the the characters are the plot rather than the characters supporting the plot. It's true, and um, I guess we have, this is probably a good time to just we can start delving into um, as Emily uh, moves out, she does stumble upon a box of treasures, right? And this is when she starts to um, you know interact with the people around her a bit more and become more imper- more personal with them, and starts to um, you know I guess open up the story, open up what open up how this movie progresses, and open up. Um, some more moments for the characters to thrive and kind of give some really memorable scenes. And so she finds this tin box of treasures in which she finds out that it, or she assumes it belonged to a man who used to live in the apartment that she currently right. resides in. Right, like toys resembling those 40 years prior. By the way, this movie's set in 1973 in the beginning? Yeah, so I think it... it and then it jumps to modern day when she moves out, I think. Almost modern day. It's yeah. 1991. Nine, I do believe. Right. Yes, it's so right, around, right when Lady Di died. So essentially, Emily's like early twenties. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, mid twenties, maybe. Let's just. I mean, the it. film, the script was probably realistically the script was probably written in ninety nine. It was probably shot in two thousand. Came out in two thousand one. Yeah. That's just my guess. Right. You know. So, essentially, Emily finds this box of treasures that she essentially guesses. Um, it had to have been at least a couple owners prior or the prior owner to her apartment because she does find it behind a tile in her bathroom. Um, to which, so she goes to the landlord and asks who has lived there previously. Um, she doesn't really get any clues other than a person who may know, which happens to be the grocer. She goes to the grocer. The grocer doesn't know. The grocer sends her to her his parents. Right. They give her the name, but spell it wrong. So she hunts all over the city. Yeah, they pronounce it Bordeaux, but it's actually pronounced Bordeaux. Yeah. Like Toto, I suppose. Yeah. Anyways, I thought that was funny for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's kind of where this journey starts for her. But as she starts kind of putting these pieces that of is- the puzzle together, she starts to interact um, with, you know, her, um, her co-workers and also her uh, fellow, I guess her landlord and people around her um, Yeah, so we complex. start to see uh, to like what her life is now apart from what her life has built up to. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of where this movie thrives, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, I think it's worth saying that that instance where she finds the treasure box is built up a little bit. There is a narrator narrating most of the movie. And uh, as he's narrating, he says, little does Emily, Emily know she's, her life is about to change in the next 48 hours. Right. Something yeah. along those lines. Um, and essentially, she finds the box, and that's kind of the moment where things begin to change. Yeah, things start to really kick off at that point. And that's kind of where this movie gets exciting. And um, maybe what we're going to do is take a nice little short break, and we'll start getting into some of the deeper... Uh, you know, uh, points of this film and kind of the more memorable scenes and uh, other things we really want to delve yeah, into. There's definitely some topics to cover. There's a lot of information to cover, so stick with us. We'll be back after the breaker. Yeah. Catch you guys later. And we're back. 
Alright guys, so we took a short break there, kind of debriefed a little bit, had a little swig, and now we're feeling pretty good about uh, the rest of this film here. So, one big topic I think is worth mentioning here is the kind of underlying dark tone of the film, but not necessarily the film as a whole, but the film's world, and how Emily kind of this like, you know, keeper of light, the kind of like joy around the corner, her place in that environment. Mm-hmm. And um, Now, we've discussed a lot of visual storytelling, and it's definitely worth bringing up the fact that there's a huge color tone in this movie. You can even see it on the cover from Emily's red lipstick to the green background around her. And the world that we're brought into, which uh, you assume is Paris. Um, well, it's, it's, it's definitely in France. Yeah, it's definitely in France. Small town France, Paris. I mean, we can't be too sure. Mind you, the, the rail railway in the film leads me to believe that it's a bigger city, something like Paris. Right, yeah, Anyways. it's a metropolis to a degree. And like you were saying, we get these red and green tones. Um, red often uh, describing as anger or, you know, maybe hatred. Uh, green really is sometimes defined as disgust. So we have this world of anger and disgust, but yet the main character and the main point of this film is Amy Lee, this person who's just trying to bring joy and happiness and her interaction in this outside world and how she's trying to, you know, kind of bring the best out of that world and trying to bring, you know, the best out of these people and the best out of these situations and her interaction her interaction with this world. And it's interesting because you don't necessarily feel bubbly about the world. You feel kind of dreary in some in some scenes. It almost making it relatable. I mean I think you're right, man. I think it is kind of trying to relate to all walks of life rather than just like a happy-go-lucky story. Yeah, it's got a certain amount of realism um, that's sort of backed by certain characters. Uh, there's a grocer in the film that isn't exactly racist or sexist, but he definitely is walking all over the person he works next to all day. His name is Lucien. Um, Lucien um, maybe has a learning disability, maybe is just very shy he's, he's and slow-moving. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's also mover. missing an arm, so the grocer really sort of takes advantage of that, um, alluding to sort of uh, the realism or bringing in a certain realism in, in into the film. Now, another thing that happens is um, another sort of dark point in the movie I found was um, specifically, oh, I can't remember the character's name now. Who's this? Who are we talking about? What's she doing? He doing? Anyways, it, it very much alludes to this dark feeling in the world relating it to the real world. Okay, um, okay. Now... There's a few instances of that. Like, this movie focuses on that to a degree, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe another would be the gentleman that's always hanging around the diner, Emily works out, the guy who has previously dated one of the waitress Emily works alongside and is always sitting in the diner with a recorder documenting sort of her acts of betrayal, if you will. Right. He kind of thinks that everything she's doing is in spite of him, and he's taking everything she does in a personal negative sense. But I think one big character that kind of uh, really, you know, takes on this thing you're talking about, Daniel, is the glass man. That too, yeah. And I think he is kind of this, you know, down-on-his-luck man who um, he... You know, he has really glass and glass-like fragile bones. He's an older man. He kind of lives for his his painting and for his work. And these very small things, I suppose you could, maybe an outsider's perspective would consider. But at the same time, he's a very, you know, warm, caring person who Emily befriends. 
And it's interesting because he might be seen as this, like, hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo-like figure. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know, she understands that he does have good inside of him. He does have light inside of him. He is kind mm-hmm. of this... He's not this myth. He's not this monster. He's just... He's not a mystery. He's just another person in this world. But he chooses... He doesn't. He has not met a lot of people, and he admits to not leaving yes. his apartment a lot. Now, he chooses to meet or to interact with Emilie to correct the spelling on the person she's looking for in order for her to return right. the tin can of treasures. Bortoto. The Bortoto. Um, now... That be uh, he must relate to her on some level or another. Now we we talked about earlier in the when we were chatting about character development that Emily uh, takes pride and joy in some of the little things like skipping rocks and taking photos and, and cracking creme brulee and cracking the tops of creme brulees with teaspoons. Um, That's a good time. I like that too. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I'd say that in the same way, because the glass man has been sort of confined to his apartment for so many years or a, an extended period of time, that he must take joy in the little things like the painting he does every day. He's done a painting every day right. or every year. He's completed a painting every year for the last 20 years. Well, just to says. bring it back really quick to the character development, I think every character kind of has that in them. In this film, they have their likes and their dislikes. Their likes are kind of the small right. things they like. The and that little, kind of the little niches, the yeah. simple things. And um, I think maybe some of those uh, attributes could be seen as maybe a little bit darker or a little bit more, you know, uh, misunderstood to a degree. Um, and just to kind of elaborate on kind of uh, this section of our thoughts. Um, there, as the story progresses, um, Emily really wants to uh, kind of do right for the wrongs around her, I guess you could say. So, she, for instance, you're talking about this grocer who is um, just honestly a huge dick to Lucian. He's just a piece of shit, honestly. And she wants to kind of like, get him back. And as she's doing this and breaking into her, breaking into his apartment and kind of causing a ruckus, um, she takes on like an alter ego of Zorro, which I thought was really interesting. And That's right. She, she, uh, she has a sword, and after she closes the door after causing a ruckus in his apartment, she... Um, almost in a dreamlike scene, carves yeah. a Z onto the door. But it, it doesn't actually happen in the real world. Of course, he would know something. The, the grocery no. would know something was up. But it's almost like a she envisions as she's walking out the well, door it, that she. It is kind of a. It's a style throughout this film. Kind of these like cutaway. These cutaway scenes. Yeah. Kind of like for sure four on, or a much, five of them. on a much more thoughtful sense, similar to like you know Family Guy's cutaway gigs, but in a much more uh, well thought out sense. It's yeah. kind of like these scenes cut away to. You know, maybe uh, the character's inner thoughts or what they, you know, wish was happening or what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what's actually going on, but it cuts away to these um, these moments when they're heads. Mm-hmm. And um, like you're saying, yeah, she cuts the door with a Z and she, um, she's this Zorro-like figure where she's a masked marauder helping out, helping out uh, the good and, you know, kind of getting back at the bad. And, like, it's she kind of takes on, like, a superhero, uh, you know... Yeah, yeah, a protector of the night sort of thing. A vigilante. A vigilante. That's something. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's fun. It's to me, I found it quite comical, and I I remember thinking to myself, well, she's not really like a Robin Hood figure. She's not really like stealing from the rich, giving to the poor. She's more so just like doing right by the people who need the help. 
And, right, um, but not necessarily doing wrong to anyone. No, no, she's I mean, really not. The worst thing that Emily does while she's in the apartment at the grocery is switch the foot cream with the toothpaste. Yeah, exactly. And it's, which, by like, the way, I think Mean Girls may have copied that like, <laughs> for three years later. <laughs> but Fair anyways, enough. but it's uh, it's a very light, um, almost prank. Yeah, exactly. It's but again, um, it's like but we it, might see that as a light little prank, but to Emily, but it's, it's enough, a fun little thing that gets yeah. her excited, makes her happy, and it's enough to kind of like set things off for that character. Right, and enough to set something off for Lucian, you know, the person who's taking the brunt of the negativity from the grocer. True. So, you know, in she she almost did help out Lucian because. Uh, yeah, she sets his alarm, the the grocer's alarm clock too early. He ends up passing out in the cauliflower during the day, to which Lucien is able to run the shop alone, and everyone seems to really enjoy that. Everyone around him, and right. so does right. he. He comes back to see the glass man to make some d- deliveries to him, and they, they share de- some they excitement develop. about they it. Yeah. That friendship in a sense, or that camaraderie. Yeah, and I actually quite like those scenes of them together. They're quite endearing. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Um, one more thing I think I want to get into before we get into maybe our final topic, because um, there's a lot to go on, honestly. Uh, but just we, this is one thing that both really uh, struck us a lot was uh, the idea of Emily seeing herself on TV and you know some uh, more like uh, forms of media as she sees herself in the, her surroundings. The more she becomes right. aware of the people in her like day-to-day setting and the more bec- she becomes evolved in those settings, she starts to see herself on TV. And it's almost like and, a cutaway, like yeah, the Zorro thing is. Exactly. It is, kinda, it is kind of surreal. And just a brief aside, I guess, there's three really, um, three really potent uh, like CGI-like surreal moments that happen. The first one being with her fish flubber, where he takes on this like CGI-like... You know, I guess possessive sense where he can like actually look at her and mm-hmm. like kind of like says goodbye in a sense. And there's another scene where she helps a blind man through a street and tells him what he's experiencing and smelling and you know what he's stumbling upon. And then he kind of glows with joy and happiness, almost like a yeah. God-like the sense. tones of green and red disappear and are replaced with this sort of glow this, around. It's like the halo almost effect and, almost, as if she had had this like innate positive. Uh, effect on him yeah. right? that had just like really reinvigorated him but uh, anyways the, back to the kind of the thing I want to get a, get a touch upon is just she sees herself in TV and I think that's interesting because the the idea of media is kind of interesting in this film she talks a lot about um, you know we were talking earlier sorry about uh, you know as she finds this box, this tin box of treasures. She's watching TV, and that's when everything goes awry. When she's oh. tired and kind of exhausted for the day, she's laying, she sits down and watches TV, and as she starts to see herself on this TV, she starts to kind of, like, put herself in these situations. And I think that starts to make her think how she can see herself help situations in her real day-to-day life. Right. Uh, and it's not only that does she... Not only does the dialogue... In the on, happening on the TV, address her and her situation, but she begins to visually imagine herself in the shoes of whomever is on the TV. Right. Movie. Right. Um, oh, I think uh, there's a couple of movies she shows up in, um, potentially, or sees herself in, and then there's a news article, maybe. They're kind of funny. They're kind of funny, like asides, but I think they're really important because. You know, like we're talking about here, she she's is projecting this herself onto things around her, exactly, and judging herself. And it's interesting for so, this film because we have a character who we kind of are introduced as you know, um, 
you know, I'm a little bit of an outlier, maybe a little bit of an introvert, but she starts to really envision herself in a, a broader sense. And that's mm-hmm. when things start to get really, really interesting. And I, I don't know, I just thought it was cool. I really did. And then that started to kind of bring in this kind of comedic, quirky, kind of just really enjoyable sense to this film. Um, but going back to media really, really quick, this is something I want to bring up is just the prevalent idea of Princess Diana in this movie. Um, yeah, she what is that to... about? Because I don't fully get it. What, what are your thoughts? Well, we have a couple of different theories, and essentially uh, the mysterious death of uh, Princess uh, Lady D may you know, may sort of relate to the mysterious nature of Emily, or right. at least how she appears to other people. Like, the situation is appearing uh, mysterious to outsiders, just as Emily appears to others to be outs- okay. uh, you know. That's cool. Um, I think so. I can see that. Um, however, I mean, think, the... I feel like that's almost too loose of a connection. It is, but, I, you know, I think you're right, though. I completely agree with you, but it's, it's to the point where, like, in this movie, they bring her up so much... There's got to be a reason. There's I mean, be a it concrete. could purely be to relate the viewer to like a, uh, real a, po- a real world setting or a point okay. in a thing in history that has really happened to make you sort of thoroughly believe that right. um, okay. this world is very much a derivative of ours. Or for for me, the thing that I guess I was stuck on was just she's very fixated on. The, the news uh, announcement of uh, her passing. And that's when everything starts. That's when right. everything begins for her. So it's interesting to think that in the real world, everyone's so focused on this tragedy. And, you know, it's, that's in the, right. it's in the news. She does completely dis- disregard it She disregards afterwards. it as soon as her own kind of journey or her own news story, I guess if you want, begins. Right. And she starts to... Um, kind of create, she starts to kind of have this own chaos, inner chaos in her world and focuses on that while the rest of the world is focusing on something completely different. So that's a really good point because uh, there's a point where she goes to a newsstand and someone assumes, someone at the newsstand assumes she's there to hear about Lady D or look at the newest article and she could care less. She's like, sorry, what? I, yeah. I, I need to get going. Give me yeah. what I want. But mind yeah, you, in the yeah. beginning, she was so enveloped with it to point to the point where she accidentally stumbled upon these uh, th- this treasure from the previous tenant. Yeah, it was um, shocking to her. She dropped her perfume the day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as she's trying to pick up the perfume that she dropped that revealed the treasure, as soon as she finds the treasure... The Lady D could become meaningless. So it's almost as if, um, you know, you become, t- uh, maybe they're trying to say it's some symbolic thing that they're trying to, uh, the director's trying to say, you envelop yourselves into the, the lives of other people because of the media, but allow your own life to take adventure and take hold, and soon you'll realize that there's uh, something greater than There's that. something bigger than, okay. than uh, yeah, yeah. the news. I think so too, and I, I think I think we're on to something. But at the same time, there's like I feel like there's some meaning it's a there tough connection that we're to not make. quite making. I think you're right though. I think we really, I think you're we're definitely getting to something there. But there's I feel like there's just like yeah, there's a little something we're not. No, getting. I'm, I'm I'm totally with you. But uh, that being said, that we're being said, almost um, out of time, and we got to jump into this last point. Yeah. So uh, the last, and I would argue the biggest thing about this film is just the uh, this kind of idea of fate and chain reactions that occurs in this film. And um, I guess we kind of, I'll talk about this, we kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, uh, I guess we're talking about like things on the second viewing. And, you know, this is the second viewing. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we're talking about uh, this, this in particular scene in which she has a camera 
and she takes a photo and she she thinks she causes a car crash and it's kind of this disaster that she creates herself based on her own actions. And I think it's one of those ideas where it it affects her to the point where she's always subconsciously subconsciously thinking that you know she's only right, there to kind of actions uh, you know project a response. But that, but but she thinks of it in a, a negative way, I think, and I think that causes her to hold herself back for a good portion of her life. Yeah. But you know, as we see her as an adult, um, and you know, as a grown woman, she uh, she starts to you know make these influences in other people's lives. But the thing is, is the influences start creating this web, this web and this new chain reaction in which she's really just pro- projecting positive, like, you know, positive vibes, and she's projecting, like, good happenings to these people. This is from a small child who thought, like, you know, one action could lead to another bad action, another bad action, another bad action. But we kind of see this awesome progression throughout the film in which she creates these moments that create another good moment and another good moment, another good moment. Yeah, I thought it was so cool, man. I really had that realization that the last, like, five minutes of the movie, I was like, dude, dude, what the fuck? I just realized that. That's so cool. I mean, that really is the reason why finding that treasure box... Um, from her, the previous tenant is such a huge thing. And the reason why it starts it off because she takes it upon herself to return that anonymously and seeing the positive effect it had on his life, she then pursues other things similar, right? Totally. Whereas before she was totally afraid. I mean, post this whole incident where taking a photo caused a car crash or the idea of that has sort of uh, uh, confined her. Now, seeing that she can do good with uh, with a similar idea has sort of set her free on her own adventure. You're right. It was almost this like uh, this plot device, this tin, this tin treasure chest or whatever you want to call it. Um, it kind of set her off as like a little, as like just a push she needed. She had the attributes and she had like the mentality to do great things, but she just kind of needed that kick. She kind of needed that that jump she start. Needed that shove a little bit. Yeah. And she got that, and that that you know that allowed her to not only uh, progress with the people around her, but guys as a person. And, you know, we start to see her become more comfortable. She starts kind of cracking jokes, and she's like, you know, even artichokes have hearts, so you can never be a vegetable. And, like, she's saying little quips like that. And, um, you know, this leads to her creating these, like, fate-like experiences, sorry. And she she helps her coworkers. She helps people around her. And she uh, – stumbles upon this photo album and that's kind of where you know Emily helping those around her and just trying to do good things and trying to she almost to, realizes she needs something for herself or she exactly, wants something exactly she she realizes that these things that are doing good for other people make her feel good and she starts to kind of find a lack in her life well maybe not a lack but she starts to find that like she needs those good feelings yeah, and she keeps stumbling upon these things, and that's where we start to find the love interest in this film, which is Nino. Right, and those things lead her to Nino, which seems to have a similar interest base to her. Not, not exactly. Not, ba- not based on uh, pure material. Like, no, Emily's not necessarily interested in photography the way Nino is. However, those small, simple pleasures, like collecting little things, or yeah. you know, being interested in maybe um, things not many other people are. Right. She's kind of. She starts to realize that, you know, she can meet these other people and see herself in those people. Yeah. And as she develops these ideas, she starts to, you know, feel better about herself, too. And I think that's what's so cool because we do kind of get this idea that, you know, Emily and other characters in this movie believe in fate. And they really believe in that, like, 
well, because this happened, this happened. And, you know, everything happens for a reason, whether for worse or for the better. And that's honestly, like, truth be told, that's where I think the magic is in this movie. And that camera scene where, like, everything went to shit because of her. But by the end of the movie, everything is great because of her. And she creates these yeah. awesome train reactions. And, I mean, myself, I believe in, like, everything happens for a reason to a degree. So I can really connect with Emily's philosophy and the way she sees things. And I think that's why this movie is so great because we get to really – understand Emily as a full character. We see her, everything come full circle. Whether if you don't see it, you know, point blank mm-hmm. or not, I think just watching and experience this movie, you yeah. get the idea that, you know, you and can do great things. <laughs> and how we know it's a romance is the movie opens with uh, um, with some events that take place on the same day of Emily's birth, and the movie closes on the same day Emily falls in love with some moments that take place after she's fallen in love. Right. So, for example, two wine glasses shaking in the wind but not falling off a tabletop. Or um, what was another comparison they made at the beginning or end of the movie? Well, I think the biggest thing is just um, they do talk about how she um, has had boyfriends before, but she wasn't interested in them. Yeah. And it's because she wasn't looking for anything to be interested in. <laughs> yeah. But now that she found, you know, Nino, who's has, like, you know, quirky uh, attributes himself or things that she just thinks are interesting, she's able to really enjoy right. that about him. And I think this is uh, almost a typical of a, f- uh, a French romance or a French love story or the idea of um, love in, in, in France, where it's... Um, it has to be the right moment, the right person, the right connection. It's like connection. a love at first sight almost yeah. kind of idea. Like it's that, almost that, that spark. Bo- both people are in the right place at the right time, and they want the same things, and they're drawn together, and, and it happens. And the explanation is not that one, it's not the typical idea of a, we, a, a Western rom- a romantic comedy where it's like, oh, we work at the same place, and he's cute, but I don't think I can get him. <laughs> but he it's wants true. me, but I'm going to look better. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not that whole bullshit working towards the idea of it's romance, them yeah. it's them falling into place or falling into line well, or wanting yeah, i think they both understand what romance is they just haven't found the right person to be romantic with yeah and i think the reason this works in this movie is because 75% of the film you barely see nino but you really understand emily as a character and right. once nino is described fully you can understand why they mesh and you understand yeah. how that really helps Emily kind of grow as a person. And I think a lot has to do helps. with the moment. Yes, too. the moment, yeah. Because I think you would I, I think you could ultimately argue that had Emily and Nino met and tried it a year ago, they wouldn't be in the same position now. I would but completely because agree. of the moment, because of the circumstance and because of the position in life they were, that like sort of a lining of stars. Right. Um But uh, I think I think that all comes happened. down to the chain reaction that yeah, Emily's ex- created. Exactly. And that's and that's that's fate. That's the full circle. That's the idea. full circle, and that's I don't know. I think that's probably where we're gonna we're gonna end ourselves on this because that's kind of where things uh, kind of work for us. I don't know. Now we've final left, thoughts. Final thoughts. Well, we've left out a lot of details of this movie. Uh, a lot for a reason, which is you have to go check out this film. There's a lot Highly more to it. Um, it's a fantastic. Shout movie. out to my girl K Wong for recommending this film to us. Shout out to K Wong. Love you, girl. Um, now. I mean, bottom line, go see this movie. It's on Netflix, guys. There's no American way. Netflix, I'm pretty sure. I think it wasn't on Canadian. We got fucked by that, I'm pretty sure. Oh, was it? But it's on Blu-ray. You get on Amazon for like 7 or $8. Yeah. Check that out. I would, I would recommend it. Um, it's definitely, I think, a film uh, most people will enjoy. 
but it's a romantic comedy must see. But that small percentage of people will really, really appreciate its underlining meetings and kind of mm-hmm. maybe really relate to Emily, and I think that's what's important. Yeah. So Well, thanks for tuning in, yeah. guys. As always, check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube, Facebook. SoundCloud. I think I said Facebook, no? Just all that stuff. Yeah, check, check it. Check it out. Check our books. We haven't made a book, but if we did, please read it. We're working on some notebooks uh, that'll be coming up soon. That's actually guys. true. I forgot yeah, about that. We do have some true. notebooks we coming. We do have some notebooks coming. So stay posted for yeah. that. But subscribe uh, on all uh, you know uh, RSS feeds, all uh, podcast accounts. Just stay tuned. Um, in the meantime, we're actually recording this for the first time, breaking the fourth wall right now. So uh, check us out on the little video cast there, and uh, we really appreciate that, guys. Stay easy, stay breezy, stay beautiful, cover girl. Talk to you later.